Uh, welcome to uh, the Brooks Online Gathering. Uh, last week, we uh, talked about how we were still in the middle of this series, uh, Words I Never Said, and we, we closed it um, talking about justice and some ideas and ideologies uh, that we need to identify not just as uh, dangerous or harmful, but actually demonic, and then give it a pathway of what it looks like to take those ideas captive, uh, bringing them to obedience to Christ, where he would have decisive authority in evaluating those. Um, what we said was we would use that as a springboard to this, which would be a conversation around justice, um, as well as some emotional health and spirituality in the midst of this pandemic space. And so that's what's taking place uh, now. Uh, hopefully this is life-giving and enriching uh, to you. We have questions that some have sent in. Um, this will be the only time we're able to wrestle with questions. And so if you have more questions, uh, the conversation is ongoing beyond Sundays in the life of our church. But I did want to introduce um, those who are going to be our conversation partners uh, today. Uh, we have uh, Neil, obviously you, you preach here, you, you are the man. And so, and you got the fresh cut. And so uh, Neil's heart uh, for shepherding and, and leading people into just um, a, a life of sincerity with Jesus is evident even in the way that you, you preach and communicate. So Neil, thank you so much for thank you, um, participating. Uh, we have Tracy. I mean, what cannot be said about you? I mean, you are Tracy. You're amazing and awesome, but just um, you are one of the most unbothered people I've ever met in my life. Like your ability to, to move grounded and centered in the midst of unstable waters is, is profound. And so your voice is necessary to this conversation. Um, and then we have Carlos Lillette planting a reality Miami, uh, charging the gates of hell in our great city. We need you. Um, and what's been very refreshing from our heart has not just been the skill that's evident in your communication and your heart as a shepherd, but your thoughtfulness. You just think well. Clearly you talk well, but you just think well and you think with a gospel lens. And so thank you for being part of this conversation as we wrestle um, together. So let's just jump into it. The first question um, that I think is appropriate to deal with is this. Um, are these conversations, so conversations around justice and race, um, are these conversations or issues really relevant for Miami or are they just relevant to cities that have more black or white people? Out the gate. <laughs> Out the gate. You're looking at me. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking, looking at, at you. Yeah. Like, who wants to, who wants yeah. to start this conversation? I, I think absolutely. Um, it's absolutely relevant to Miami. Because even if we are in a largely Hispanic context, mm -hmm. Latino context, um, Latinx context. Sure. Uh, there's a whole conversation there's around a that. Whole there's conversation. a whole conversation. Harvest of the empire, baby. Yeah. And so, but it's very important because you can't really understand your place in American society without understanding um, the story of white and black in that dynamic. Mm. And so I think sometimes, of course, we are a city full of immigrants. Yeah. And oftentimes what can happen is that immigrants can, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm, that's right. Yeah. But what can happen oftentimes is that we can shy away from having these conversations, number one, because it's out of fear. Mm. Um, how dare we challenge the government that is now hosting us? Mm. You know, even though historically 
we have to be realists and say that sometimes the reason that some immigrants, not all, have ended up here is because of foreign policies mm. that have been even perpetuated by um, this country. You know, so um, so I think it's very important just to be able to even situate yourself um, as a person in the United States. Uh, and that's just one reason. I mean, I think there's a lot more. Of course, it's just, it's an issue of our time. It matters, especially as believers if we want to live as kingdom citizens here. That's good. This is why I said you're thoughtful. You out here crushing out the gate. He's like, bring that here. Anybody else want to engage with that idea of relevancy to a justice race conversation, specifically in Miami? Uh, when I was in fifth grade, uh, we were learning about segregation. And um, so, you know, I went to a, a, a pretty mixed school. I grew up off of a military base, so there's a lot of different races. And I remember one of um, my classmates, her name was Jessica, she was Mexican. And, you know, we're talking about segregation, the difference between black and white schools and all of that. And, and she raised her hand and she said, well, where would I go? Like, what, what school would I go to? And my fifth grade teacher, Miss Spink, um, I don't think she actually knew the answer, <laughs> uh, which is dangerous. But I, so I don't remember what answer she gave her. But the point is, is that people who are not black and white still have uh, they still have to figure out how they're going to live in America. And unfortunately, um, to figure that out, we do have to understand the dynamic of black and white. So even though Miami is very mixed race and it's, it's very, you know, predominantly Caribbean and Latin, uh, they're still understanding the, the overarching culture of the United States because it does affect South Florida. South Florida, as much as we want to believe that we are our own country, <laughs> as much as we think so that, facts. the truth is we're facts. looking at elections that are coming up. Yeah. Yes. We're looking at, you know, government officials who will make decisions for South Florida, regardless of whether they understand that being a South Floridian is very different than being somebody yeah. from, you know, Tennessee or yeah. um, even New York. So I think it's really important for us here um, to recognize that because we do have a lot of, uh, like you said, a Caribbean, Latinx, Latino, Latino people um, who are trying to navigate it as well. Mm -hmm. That's good. May, may I jump in there a little bit? Yeah. And then, I don't know, Neil, if you want to say anything, if not, we could just to another question or idea well i would i would i would just add to the to the, the conversation so far is that uh, the history of miami-dade county is a history that's racist yes, yes. and so we can't yep. just yeah. do away with history it's mm -hmm. here and it's part of who we are as a story and needs to be dealt with is my thought see that, I, I agree so even the experience of a predominantly majority minority city like ours mm -hmm. is tied to white flight mm -hmm. it's tied to people say actually I feel like you're encroaching on my comfort, so I'm going to move to Broward and to Palm Beach, and I'm going to keep going north uh, until I'm away from this and create all of these enclaves. So, so I definitely think it's relevant to our city, and there's still present experiences of it within our city. Um, and so, yeah, but to add something to it, then maybe push it to another question would be even just the way we think and talk about white and black needs to be expanded because whiteness is less ethnicity and more I, like ideology. You know what I mean? So it's tied to something like there was not like this birthing into whiteness. It was, well, I was Saxon or I was British or I was European. And so historically there was an ethnic identity that people had that they sacrificed to adopt another identity thus white. So even there was a time where people who were Irish 
weren't considered white. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to deal with that, that wait a second, if we're not actually talking just about ethnic dynamics, but ideologies and things like that, that it's relevant wherever you find yourself geographically, specifically in Miami, because there is something about that Eurocentric experience amongst the Latin community here. Would you, would you disagree or agree with that? No, I'd agree. I think the difference with Miami is that most immigrants that came here didn't cross the border. Mm-hmm. They flew here. Mm-hmm. And that's different. It is. Because uh, there are absolutely still a lot of refugees that have come to Miami. Uh, there's a lot of people who have swam here, of course, uh, to flee from oppression, you know, oppressive states. Uh, but there's a lot of people that uh, just came here in a plane. And which means that they came from a different socioeconomic status than sometimes who we associate in the head of these black and brown people and people at the border. Well, a lot of people in Miami do not identify with some of the situations that are happening in Texas, for instance. Yes. So I think that's for sure there's a different dynamic there. Man, I just want to spend time talking about that because there's, yeah, Eurocentrism is a thing. Mm-hmm. That's last week's sermon. So all of this creates tension we find ourselves in, and we're navigating tension. Um, some of us are emotionally in a very weird space. I've been having a lot of conversations. I know we all have been, uh, which is why we're in this piece together, where there's just a lot of exhaustion emotionally for some people. Um, some of it is tied to some of the issues that we're all facing in terms of race relations, justice, how do we define it, how do we apply it. Some of it is tied to just the fact that we're in a global pandemic. (laughs) We are experiencing a global pandemic. And I know it's been politicized, but the reality is 200,000 people plus have died in America. We're in a global pandemic. Um, And so there is this kind of low-grade depression that almost is experienced by so many different people. And so how, how would you guys go into the question that was posed? How do we protect our peace and sanity without tuning everyone out or turning everything off. So I think this the question, how do we protect our peace without detaching from the world around us is the question. <laughs> oh, I preach. I preach a lot, so I feel like I'm not allowed. So this is, this is your space. Well, I mean, let, let, me, let me start and say that the way, I, the way I look at it is that I'm not sure what normal is or if there anything ever was normal. Mm. And so what, what this is between between um, COVID and between uh, the racial unrest in the past several months, uh, I think what's happened is, is that uh, maybe my previous view of what a normal, happy life is, that's all been exploded mm. and, uh, and the, the shell's been ripped off and there it is. We live in a super broken world. Yes. Where where sin is rampant, where disease is rampant, where pain is rampant, and when you get hit with that, that's depressing. Mm-hmm. However, when I compare it to what the Bible says, actually, the Bible actually describes a world that's like that, mm-hmm. a world that's affected by sin and is groaning on a daily basis. And so there's a sense where okay, this is really super bad. I'm, I'm don't deny it for a second, but it's more maybe it's more real than where we were several months ago. And so in saying in saying that, God has showed us this reality, and now He's asking us to have faith in Him. Mm. 
that's kind of the way I've been thinking about it. Mm. It helps me get through some of those very long days. Mm. So I'm gonna take that, take that, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna receive that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need that right now. Because you're you're speaking to the sobriety suffering brings, like you know, and and we don't pursue it because it doesn't feel good, but it provides an opportunity when we find ourselves in the midst of it. And that's powerful to me, like to, to say, no, like God has waking us up to reality in a world stained by sin and misery, but you can still see him in the midst, have faith. Um, there's something that you said in there that leads to another question that we have that maybe we all can interact with, which is, because you, you brought out depressed. And so the question would be, is there a difference between being depressed and having depression? Is there a difference between being depressed and then having depression? Does that make sense? Kind of, I think what they're, what they're getting at. Go ahead, bro. <laughs> bro, pastor us, man. We good. You free. I do think, I, I, I do think that uh, a lot of people have entered into a, into a, a clinical depression based on these there's a sense where there's a sense where we all grieve and we all suffer but there's times when we can't we don't have the tools to get out of that grief mm. we're kind of stuck in a we're stuck in a bad grieving cycle and when that happens what that happens that just leads ultimately to depression so there's a sense of no every day we wake up and we have a sense of our world's messed up and we get it now more than ever and in a 24-hour news cycle we see it all the time our world's messed up however however when we can't get out of it when we don't see god in it when we don't when we don't feel the god's presence with us you know buoying us along life's journey then then we've then we're entering a, a, a territory where i think depression just is just around the corner mm. I think depression, a lot of the times when people find themselves depressed, I look at it as the antithesis of, of expression. There's mm -hmm. something that needs to be expressed. And so for me, even though in the beginning, I would say probably May or so, I went through a couple of weeks of feeling, um, even though you say I'm unbothered, a couple <laughs> of weeks of feeling really off center of myself, just because mm -hmm. of everything that was happening um, and and finding time to to get with the Lord and and having really great support, but also like asking, okay, in this season where I'm feeling slightly depressed, what part of me needs to be expressed? Is there something I need to say? Is there something I need to do? Is there something I need to pray about? Is there, is there an action step? What is God calling me to do in this moment? Um, because I think that there is space for mourning and there's space for grief and there's space for all of those things. I mean, really, to understand the spectrum of human emotion um, is wisdom. And I think we should all allow ourselves to have time to do all of that. Um, but knowing, and, and this goes back to just identity, I think knowing who I'm called to be, what would God have me do right now? Right. And, and sometimes it's, he has me crying in bed. I mean, that's yeah, just where yeah. you're going to be. Like, you know, sometimes yeah. that is it. Um, but also knowing like, I am here for, for something. Like, I, I don't believe, you know, and you talked about it last week, that God just, it's not, you're, you're not accidental humans. So what am I here for? And what am I called to do in this season? And like I said, sometimes it is just prayer and fasting and getting back to the basics. And sometimes it's it's taking a stance and, and being an advocate and in whatever way you can you can do that. So depression, expression kind of are two sides of a coin to me. And I can, you know, depending on where I am, 
um, can kind of flip back and forth to, to figure out, you know, what actions I need to take based on how I'm feeling. Mm. That's good. First of all, thank you for listening to the sermon last awesome. week, too. Well, you know, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just needed to say that. I didn't need to say that out loud. She's like, no, there's no accident. I did say that. I did say that. Because no. I have listened to him preach that sermon like five times. So. <laughs> in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Did you want to jump in on that? Depressed versus depression dialogue? Question? Um, I think for me... Uh, as you were, as, as both of you were talking, it just kind of dawned on me. Of course, it's it's just this is also a time when people have to deal with things mm-hmm. that were lurking or were yes. beneath the surface before. hundred yeah. percent. So yes. part of that depression can come just because now you got to deal with reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you got to deal with it. You got to go home. And and deal with the issue in your marriage, yeah. or uh, you, there's now you can't medicate yourself as much with technology because you're exhausted by it. So right. where do you turn to, and what do you do? And so I think, um, yeah, I think it's been a um, yeah kind of hit, hitting. It's hit us between the eyes, mm. and I mean I love what you. It's waking us up to to face some of the things that maybe we haven't faced. Mm. Which is good because you have to face yourself. That is so true. There's so many issues I didn't even know I had. I didn't things I didn't even know I owned came up in the season, um, and yeah, you have to deal with them because ultimately, like Neil was saying, you know, we do live in this fallen world. We do live in this broken world, and with everything that's happened, I mean, we've gone through so much this year between racial tension. It's an election year. We've had a dust bowl. We've had hurricanes. We've had wildfires oh, in California. Gosh. We've, I mean, like so many things oh, have perfect. happened. And here, but the, the good thing is here we are, mm-hmm. right? Like here we are. And I think mm-hmm. we forget that and we want to just cancel 2020. Like let's just start in 2021. Um, and I, I don't know that that's the answer. I think the answer is, you know, getting back to let's, let's see where we are. Let's, you know, identify those things to be identified. Mm-hmm. And then let's, let's deal with them because that, and, and even with the truth things that are coming up, like you have to reconcile, why do I believe what I believe about this about whatever black lives matter about yeah. the election process why do i believe this candidate over that mm-hmm. like you have to figure out mm-hmm. why you're making the choices that you are making yeah. uh, cuz it's now, it's like more crucial now than ever man uh-oh nah, i think this is good yeah. I, so cuz cuz there's a tension that we all know and we experience and i think you brought out like even this distinguishing of like you're just having this moment this feeling but then there's this clinical dynamic where there's actually this bad trap mm-hmm. like you're, you're in a grief trap you can't you can't get out um, yet what what each of y'all have said has been God through multiple means pulling us out um, so my, my mind immediately was jumping to like uh, Elijah in first Kings battle in depression and God interceding in a multidisciplinary way um you need to eat something take a nap take a nap truth journal by asking him questions so we need, we're going to explore what's going on inside and then giving him this expansive view of what god was actually doing in the world by the way go anoint this king go get elisha i'm changing the world thousands haven't bowed the knees to me and it's just and so for me it's just like that's very humbling because it connects with our responsibility 
to not pull away, um, but to press in to the things that are hard because that's where we find people hurting the most and we need to be hands and feet and the heart of God, shoulders to lean on and cry. Um, and so, yeah, so that just, it just has me thinking about a bunch of stuff too because even personally, I think even for, for, for many people, at least that I've talked to, there's a unique aspect of re-traumatization. Like we just feel re-traumatized by the current cultural moment and the racial tension and violence done to black bodies. And, and you just, so it's, just, it's almost like, here we go again on steroids, but it's almost like the here we go again, like it takes a piece of your soul at the same time. So it's like, here we go again, but I'm snatching a piece of your soul. So next time it comes, it's like, here, does that make sense? And so it's just this weird, like this depressed space where you're not able to fully express um, or experience because it's like that sadness just kind of seizes you. Um, but in the conversation that I've had with some people um, all across the map, one thing has come up consistently, which is, all right, like, how do I not stay angry, sad, or hate people who seem to support the things that are harmful or hurtful to me or those I care about? Help. So that's the question. That is the larger is like how I, I don't want to I don't want to stay angry, sad or hate people who seem to support the things that are harmful or hurtful to me or those I care about help. So how can we help? Like, how can we help somebody that may be in that space? Oh, I mean, I don't. I wasn't looking at you because of, I, I mean, you, looking at it's you. just my eyes <laughs> gra gravitated to the right. Totally. And so, yeah. <laughs> I want. I, I, I want. I also did this. <laughs> you did. You did me. You did me. So I was like, "Are oh, you leading? Are we leading?" It's like that one P did he meet? Where he's like, like, and so like, are you taking that? You know, uh, I mean, I, I have some thoughts. Uh, you know, right now, the, the part of the problem is every interaction seems to be limited by one or two minutes. Hmm. And so now, not only is our attention different, we, the world has changed even in how we communicate. And so a lot of people even lack the, 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 the skills to be able to have a conversation. Yes. Um, I can think of, I, you know, I don't think at any other point in my life were relationships as threatened as they are now. Man. I'm talking about people, I'm saying old relationships, like, hey, what's up? Like, we're boys. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we're talking now. And because you posted something and somebody else posted something, now we can't even talk. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's like, what happened? So I think um, all of us, myself included, need to continue to grow in what does it look like to have skills, like even relationally in conversation, you know. But biblically speaking, and what does it look like to love your neighbor? You know, to, you know, Philippians 2, to practice that, counting the other person as more important than yourself, to listen well. I don't think prideful people listen well, right? I mean, you know, but humble people can, can generally, in my experience, they're, they're great listeners, you know? And so how do we cultivate that in, in our lives? And, and how do we make sure that we know that we're all going in, you know, we're all on a different journey and... Anyways, that's what I got. Redemptive listening. Listening well. Mm -hmm. I love it. What else? 
I'm not it's just my eyes gravitate. Yeah. <laughs> this is not. Now you go, then you go. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, social media is is toxic. I think mm-hmm. because it invites it invites uh, snarkiness and um, you know you know getting your shot and you know that that kind of thing. So I would I mean I I would try to avoid that as much as possible. Not avoid people who disagree, but avoid that getting in that kind mm-hmm. of level of mm-hmm. communication. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone's really wanting to have a meaningful talk, I'm absolutely open to it. And then on the other side too, when I when I heard you restate the question, I thought to myself, I, I, there's a sense where there's a sense where I think as a Christian, I need to conv- um, cultivate a uh, forgiving spirit, mm-hmm. meaning mm-hmm. that even if I think you are really wrong, really, really wrong, I can't, I can't be filling myself up with poison because I think you're really wrong. Mm-hmm. I need, you know, it's like if you're really wrong, you know, I can warn you. Yeah. I could, I could talk to you nicely, politely, in love. But I can't, I can't ingest the poison any longer because that's not good for my soul. It is toxic. And when I'm toxic, I will affect the people around me with my toxicity. Mm. Uh, I, I think for me, because I am on social media so much, um, so I'll always ask myself the question, you know, do I need to be right or do I want peace? Because it's going to be, a lot of times it's one or the other. It's right. It's, do I want, because I, and recognizing I don't actually have anything to prove, you know, to these people who want to be argumentative. I have nothing to prove. So, you know, recognizing that I think does keep me unbothered because I don't spend, um, I mean, there are times where I will say things, believe me, because I will go in, if you know, um, and then kind of end it with, this is not up for debate. This is the end of the discussion. But uh, mostly it, it is the question, do I want to be right or do I want to have peace? And usually I just would much rather have peace than be right. Because at the end of the day, what they think does not actually affect, like directly affect me. Um, and and I, can, I can recognize what I am called to do again uh, and, and do that. And I don't think that I'm called to argue with every person that, you know, brings up things that are the antithesis of what my ideologies are. Mm, that's great. I want to tease that out a little bit because what if what they think shows up mm-hmm. in how they vote? Yeah, which that's such a good question because I think that that is exactly what's happening, right? Yeah, and so yeah. there, um, and for those reasons, like I, I will do things that I feel like address them on a mass scale. Um, and that's, you know, that's part of the reason why I do what I do. So I will, let's just have this all out discussion. We're all going to talk about it now because these are the questions that I'm getting, you know, you know, back in, in May when everything was happening and I just became kind of like the safe black person for every non-black <laughs> friend that I had, like that they, you know, in my inbox, like, um, and I'm like, this is great. I mean, cause they're starting the discussion. Cause at the very least they felt like, well, these are my thoughts. Uh, let me go find a safe black person to talk to who can actually just dialogue and not jump down my throat. So I, I do feel very honored that they would recognize Amen. that I'm not going to jump down their throat immediately Amen. because they disagree with whatever. Um, but it's, it was getting so overwhelming that I just had to be like, okay, we're just going to all talk about it all at one time. And, and, you know, because that that's more effective for what I do than, you know, having individual conversations all the time. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's really good. There's a sense too where as as I looked down for the question again and just interacted with what y'all guys were saying, like that hate 
the ability to even call it that is a type of maturity to be able to say, man, you know what? I actually, I actually feel something. Like I feel strongly, and to affirm that I think is mm-hmm. is good. So I want to, if you feel that, I just want to say, man, it's good to be able to at least affirm that's what you feel, mm-hmm. and not try to sugarcoat it, hide it, mm-hmm. call it something that it isn't. Because I think there's power in naming something, oh, yeah. so that you can be free from it and actually deal with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's why when we skirt around certain language, it's like it actually becomes unhelpful right. where it's like well yet yeah, racism but is it well, white supremacy like there's like you know there's a difference there's something that we're actually talking about um you know what I'm saying it's like um like it's just kind of like less than like adultery like you know what I'm saying? like like you know what I'm saying? abuse there's there's actual yeah. names and stuff so anyway so naming is powerful so to be able to just name like no i i feel this response emotionally towards somebody like i think that's a powerful i would say the greater aspect of maturity, though, is not just naming it. It's actually moving towards dealing with it in a good way. And so as y'all are, as y'all are speaking, I'm just like, man, I, I just want all of us to have a posture that does say that we actually need to move towards forgiveness. Like, like that's not like a suggestion. Like, it is the trajectory of grace working in our heart. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, peace actually alive in our heart. Justice being something we value is actually to move towards a more restorative perspective, which isn't just actions, it's internal attitudes as well. All right, so a um, few more questions. Um, one question, actually, we kind of teased it out a little bit that we, I, would, I do think it's necessary for us to at least talk about that. But um, before that, this is kind of the space that we were just talking about too, is like, like, what should our role be individually and collectively in pursuing racial reconciliation? That's that's the question. First of all, we could, we could spend the whole time talking about that, so yeah. let's go ahead and affirm that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, not to, like, back-end it, like, oh, we got to fit it in, but it is a question. So I don't know if there's any pressing thoughts. Well, I would start with the first thing, because yeah. I'm sure I, I know what the pastors will be talking about. But I hey. think the first thing, hey. um, <laughs> I mean, the first thing is understanding that racial reconciliation is actually possible. Because I think there are a lot of people who don't think that it, it can happen. They don't mm-hmm. think that they can communicate with people of other races. They don't think that there's even a possibility. of It's just kind of like, well, this is just what it is. And I hate all this group of people or this group of people doesn't understand me. And, or, so I think that's the first step is we have got to come together to, or individually, whatever, to, think, to recognize that racial reconciliation is, isn't just a goal and isn't just a fantasy, but it's actually a possibility. I think that, um, you know, even at the Brook, we live in a very racially diverse yeah. environment. And yeah. I think we do a really good job with it. And, and there are dissenting opinions in our body. Yeah, and, for sure. And we can manage those and have those conversations and, and change minds or not change minds and still love one another through it and, and feel good about the conversations that we have. Uh, I don't think that everybody gets to experience that, mm. which is unfortunate, but I, I think the possibility has to be the first step. Mm. That's really good. Affirming the possibility of racial reconciliation as a prerequisite of actually pursuing it. Yes. Because otherwise, what, what's the point? If you don't think it's possible, then you're just going to be like, 
Never mind. I'm not going to put energy towards it. Yep. When I was when I was in seminary in the mid '80s, thirty some years ago, they chose it. My, I, I went. I was a very white seminary. Uh, in, 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 I love you, Neil. Can I just say you know, <laughs> And I, I'll never forget my Old Testament professor. I don't know what the subject was or what the context was, but he said, he said, why? We were talking about Jackie Robinson and the Dodgers. And I was a baseball fan at the time. I'm a more, more diligent fan than I am now. And he said, why is it that, that um, baseball could bring racial integration in a more smooth way than the church can? Mm. And this was in the mid 1980s, and and the, my professor was not wow. a social justice guy, as far as I could tell, but he planted a seed, and man, that took a long time for that seed to germinate mm. in my head and heart. But it seemed to it seems to me it seems to me as I've uh, what what's helped me what's helped me is to actually listen and to read uh, the voices and hear the voices, mm. read the words of people of color. To hear what they have been through, what they have experienced, mm. and you know, it's the more I listen to them, and the more I hear what they're saying, the more I see the potential that we are reading the same Bible. Mm-hmm. We are reading the same Bible. And the other thing that I really feel like I need to say, if, if you don't mind, <laughs> is, that, free, it, is that is that there there's this notion that, and I, I'm I'm speaking for myself, right? Uh, the notion that uh, American Christianity and biblical Christianity are the same thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so <laughs> that's that's something. <laughs> I mean, that's some that's something that people. I mean, I think Americans just naturally assume, and really, that's not true at all. No. It's it's not true at all. If you actually read, if you actually read the book, and 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 actually pray to the God of the book, and you talk to the people who follow the God of the book. Then you're going to find it's a very different it's a very different uh, field of, of endeavor and and at that point all of a sudden all of a sudden we have all so much more in common than mm-hmm. differences mm-hmm. so much more yeah. in common than the differences and uh, and it helps I think to me it helps me move in the in the path of justice because I hear the voices I hear the voices more clearly mm-hmm. of the people who have been hurting who've been suffering for not, not just for a couple of years but for hundreds of years mm-hmm. and it's like whoa that's that's a heavy, heavy thing. And God God wants to undo it. God wants to undo it. He wants to bring redemption. Amen. He does. Amen. He does. Yeah. So many thoughts. The last part that you said, God wants to undo it. Like that is so understated in a myriad of ways. The implications of God wanting to undo it means that it's a spiritual task. And so there's a priority, I think, for the people of God to lead out in this effort. But that takes a lot of humility. Because jump in. Uh, so, okay, so God wants to undo it, we know, like, and he does, he absolutely does. What do you think is the resistance amongst, mostly amongst evangelical, American evangelical? What is the big resistance to God undoing it? Yeah, uh, you, 
you took a breath, so I didn't want to <laughs> sigh okay. really big. <laughs> Man, I think there's a lot of things that are that are problematic. One, um, I think there's this thing called chronological arrogance. And so I don't think we situate ourselves well in the context of time. And so as we interact with time, we either become ahistorical, so we mm-hmm. pretend like there's no past, we just kind of just plop here, big bang theory, whatever you mm-hmm. want to say, um, or we just become hyper arrogant and we assume that through our own efforts that in our time will produce something. And it's like, man, I just, so, so to me, the aspect of chronological arrogance I'm witnessing the most is this detachment from history. And so, I mean, I mentioned it last week, so I don't, I don't want to reproduce last week. So, but just like the fact that we're acting as if we're thousands of years removed right. from problematic issues, mm-hmm. the owning of people, black codes, like Jim Crow, like, and it's just like we, it's so, so my mind is like, wait a second, like this isn't ancient history, this is last year. Like, and so there's a arrogance that interacts with history in a way that becomes super unhelpful, therefore you don't address real issues. So I think that's part of it. I think that there's this cultural, anthropological, anemic aspect of Christianity that we don't talk about, where we have, we have lost the fact that at the very core of Christianity is God redeeming humans. So at the core of Christianity is humanity. It's divinity and humanity. And so we just, we don't understand humanity well in my mind. And so that shows up as not understanding cultures, not understanding how people are formed, not understanding how societies are formed. And so what ends up happening is in the context of culture, we, we talk about it in this detached way. Like it's this thing over there, subject matter, history that we can engage with versus this fluid thing that expresses itself out in decision-making policies, institutionally, decision-making, individually. And when we, when we fail to understand that's culture, then we'll say random stuff that really doesn't make any sense. The pursuit of justice, oh, that sounds like Marxism. Mm-hmm. That sounds like, um, that sounds like a liberal agenda. Like, and it's like, wait, wait, why? Because of how we think about culture, so that we say, well, now it's these people who are talking. And so I feel like there's all of these factors that coalesce into one, we actually don't really know God the way that we think we do. Sure. Yeah. And we don't understand people the way that we think we do. Um, and when we understand God the way we do, like you kind of, the God of the book, um, as he has revealed himself to be defender of the weak, father of the fatherless, near to the brokenhearted, you know, like it changes the way that we like interact with the world around us as we understand people the way that God sees them. You said no accidental humans bursting with dignity. I think it just changes. So I'll ramble, I'll rant. I think I'm processing Brianna Taylor right now, still personally. Mm-hmm. So like I'm just like just I'm here, but I'm not here. Not even gonna lie to y'all. Like I'm just so like many I'm just like so go ahead. You can take over and then we can go no, to the Because I, I, I just need Man, I, I see what you're saying, and of course I agree. I think I think there's several reasons why. Uh, Sometimes we fail to pursue it. I think you have. I think. I think Christians oftentimes seeing as a as an option. Yes. It's just like an elective, you know. Maybe. And and it's it's like wait, hold on a second. Maybe 
when you consider the scriptures, right? When you consider God's man, you see there's a there's an that eschatological vision, you know, mm-hmm. that's a, you know that mm-hmm. big word for hey, like, future that things, right? For the future, um, you see it in Revelation four, five, seven. Every tribe, tongue. That is what we're going to. Um, there is the prayer of Jesus asking him to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. There is Galatians 2. There is Ephesians 2, the breaking down of the wall of hostility. There's God forming a new people in Matthew. There is There are so many imperatives that essentially show us that this is not optional. And I think we see it as optional because we have really thought about salvation as something merely spiritual. Mm-hmm. Nice. It, yeah, yeah. It, I heard it, that somewhere. It, yeah, <laughs> you know what? I, said that. I heard that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so man, I think that that has been um, massive. It's massive. It, it, it's um, we are our we have a resurrection hope. It's material. Like we have material hope that we're looking for. You know, forward to that we're going to be beings just like Christ, who who are people with flesh and blood that have been renewed. So I think that's, um, you know, I think looking at the idea of salvation and getting saved, that one time thing and 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 just like reducing that, I think has been a big problem, you know. So let me, let me bring this together. I want to move to this question. There is the prerequisite of seeing the possibility mm-hmm. of it. There is rooting it in the heart of God, that this is something that is core to God's heart, and rooting it in salvation, i.e., if you opt out of it, you're opting out of Christianity, mm-hmm. and we don't want to do that. Um, I, 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 that, that helps me um, recover, I think, a little bit of what, I think some people may not call, but as racial reconciliation fatigue, where it's like you, you feel like you're having the same conversation over and over again. And you're like, wait a second, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. But just hearing y'all talk and process just really just, thanks. So, first, so I just want to say first thing, thank you. Because um, I do feel like we as a body have something unique and we're experiencing that, um, which is to be celebrated. And I just think we just got to keep challenging people to just do more of it, be it, and not just act like it. Y'all felt like you want to say there's, something? Yeah, I do. There's there's a passage, and I think it's in the beginning of Luke's gospel, where John the Baptist is is meeting people. They're coming up to him, and they want to be baptized. Mm-hmm. And and he does not say to them, you know, go home and, and read your Bible more. And he doesn't say go to more services. He tells the soldiers to stop, you know, uh, ripping people off. And he tells the tax collectors, you know, to stop stealing money from people. I mean, he he says the fruit of repentance. There's a fruit of repentance. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be that, that's part of, of all of our identity as Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, as God exposes things in our heart and soul. And I think this is a big exposure moment in 2020 mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. I, maybe I didn't see it before as clearly, but now I see it. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's repent. What's the fruit of that repentance? Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the fruit? It's it's action. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, what you're saying has been resonating yeah, with us. Fruit of repentance. But it's a community project, <laughs> right? Because it's yeah. not like even if I don't feel like I have something quote unquote that I immediately need to repent for. 
Like this is the beauty of the fact that a people will be, he's forming a people. So I'm helping us grow in repentance, right? right? So if I see it, I don't just look away. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta lean into it. So even if I don't personally feel like I'm wrestling with the tension, mm. there's people all around me that I'm connected to that are. Thus, I could step into that space with love as fruit, um, which is experienced not just for one individual, but all of us. All right, this could be a tack on. It could feel like a tack on, but kind of mentioned it. I think I may have teased it out and it's not where I want to land fully. So, but I feel like it, we need to at least say something um, conversationally. And again, this is a springboard to more conversations, but um, here's a question. I really don't know how to vote, or even if I should, can you just speak to that? That's a very fair question. Now, obviously, we've talked about that. We're going to talk about it some more in other spaces, but does anybody want to speak to that before I, I, I give a shameless plug and then we'll land this play? Well, I mean, I would say I would say it's a, absolutely a, it's a free country <laughs> <laughs> in terms of voting, in yeah. terms of like who you want to vote for, and so there's that. I, 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 I shudder to think that I've heard some religious leaders say, yeah. if you don't vote for this person, mm -hmm. then you're really not a Christian. Yeah. There's, there's, no, there's no verse in the Bible that tells you that. Correct. There's, there's no verse in the Bible that tells you that. So I would, I would shy away from that. So, you know, vote your conscience and, and, and that sort of thing. And I would say, and I, and I would say that uh, look, at the big, look at the big picture when you're, mm -hmm. when you're, when you're voting. Look at the big picture. Yes. Vote, because um, you know, our voices matter even though we don't. Recognize it, and for me, I always think of you know I, I, I am a black person who is descended from slaves. Yes. And so for me, uh, knowing what they had to, to go through, and you know, for me, it's an honoring of my ancestors, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But um, also to what you said, you know, you are free to do whatever you want, vote with your conscience. But I think for a lot of people, like recognize that when you do your due diligence on the candidates. When you study up and you 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 know decide who you want to vote for, you can do that freely and without guilt. I think a lot of people feel guilty if they're going to vote for one or not the other because somebody said that they should. Um, but know that when you are when you are really making a very intentional decision for yourself and not because somebody else told you to, uh, that you can do that freely and without guilt. That's but good. vote. That's good. Me, you, I got something. No, I, listen, I I agree. I, you know, of course. I got a lot of thoughts on this. I know. I mean, we've talked. So yeah. I, I, so, um, feel free, baby. Of course, I think, I do think we should vote. Um, we do live in a free country. I think, you know, you vote your conscience. Um, but of course, I count it a privilege to be able to vote in, in this country. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's a high price in many ways, mm -hmm. you know, that I think our family paid in order to be able to be a part of this community. Uh, and so I look at that. I think, I think it's important to deal with the issues and think about them thoughtfully. Yeah. Like, like do the, do the work, you know, to do the work, it's hard work yeah. to think about, um, ethics, you know, in, especially in such a binary world, it's such a binary world. It's either this or that, but doing the hard work of dealing with all of these different issues, mm -hmm. right? Christianity in the first century was for a lot of things that don't fit into Republican and Democrat. So, um, you know, I've had some Republican friends that, you know, have 
said, how can how can there be Christian Democrats? And the same vice versa, Democrats saying, how can there be Republicans who are Christians? Well, I think that is an invitation to explore these different ethical issues and then pray and, you know, ask the Lord to give you that wisdom, you know. But I think doing it blindly and then saying things <laughs> unintelligently yeah. is unhelpful and dangerous. Can I yes. say one thing that uh, I think with regards to Republican and Democrat, I think people adopt that as their identity. Yes, because it is. It is. But we have got to get away from thinking yeah. that a political party determines who we are as people. Yes. That is not the that is yeah. not your identity. Just like you know, being a Heat fan is not an identity. <laughs> like I can be a Heat fan, and that does not define who I am. Right, and I think a lot of people attach it, <laughs> attach Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal to who they think they are as yeah. a person, mm-hmm. and I just don't think that they are looking at who God is calling them to be as a person because God is not calling you to be Republican or Democrat. That's good, and part of it is the awareness, the thoughtfulness to know that that's part of the system, right? To play yes, identity politics. That's yes. right. To say, hey. You matter to us in so much as your voting block or in so much as we could, quote unquote, use some issue and then label you in light of that. And so, yeah, I, I, politics becomes identity very quickly and it's dangerous. Uh, I, I, I think the so right, God has given us a few institutions to both see the restraint of sin in the world around us. The effects of sin are that it ruins people's lives. It destroys the world that we're in. It ultimately creates separation um, in the here and now and then eventually in hell. And so we are able to, like, by God's grace, restrain some of the effects of sin. The Spirit is working doing that. And the institutions he allows us to participate in to do that, one would be family, first institution, primary institution, like man, woman, children if they have it but they're a family without it mm-hmm. and so in this we are all parts of the family like again no accidental humans we didn't come out of nowhere not asymmetrical problem. and so so family the institution of family is a vehicle for change yeah. the church us collectively coming together saying that i will partner with you to accomplish a particular end in this case the brook to grow eight people from all people passion for god so the, the institution of the church and then government like the enacting of ideas, policies, and ethics in the public square for the common good. Like that's a vehicle for transformation and restraint that God has given us. So I do think there's a, a level of thoughtfulness to each institution God calls us to have and not just believing anything wholesale mm-hmm. and not just thoughtfulness in how we're thinking, but thoughtfulness in how we're engaging. So I do think, I think voting matters. But going back to the, the, co- the, the conscious piece, you, you got to. But at the same time, not feeling the pressure, not feeling the pressure, especially now, right now, where it's like you're defined by your votes. And I think that's what I'm very mm-hmm. afraid of, is the way that people will be defined by what happens in a few months, as opposed to the God who exists and rules over all of it. You know, does that make does that make sense? And that and that's through totally. conversation where it's mm-hmm. like, man, you know what? No, be active, be engaged, be thoughtful. This is why I think the organizations like the <laughs> and campaign are super helpful. Um, and, and that work that they put it out, 
um, books that they've written. I, I just think it's super helpful in, in thinking well and in acting well, but we can't be defined like by a balance because mm-hmm. that becomes very scary. If that's because if it defines us, it'll divide us. Mm-hmm. Uh, go, if, yeah, if you don't, if you don't mind, uh, I would. Uh, I think I share with you uh, some thoughts that I got from from Rabbi Sachs, Jonathan yeah. Sachs, who whose talk on uh, the Hebrew Bible was that Judaism exists as a critique of culture. Yeah. And so you have Abraham and Ur of the Chaldees, mm-hmm. you have Moses and the Egyptians, yes. and you go down the line. Yes. All the Old Testament's like that. Mm-hmm. And so and I, I was listening to him talk, and I thought, oh, wait a second. That just that goes right into the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said before about American Christianity and biblical Christianity, yeah. because sometimes the, the vote, the ballot, is, is a power play. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. And as, a po- as opposed... As opposed to, we love we love being here. However, we don't want to ever, as a church, give up our prophetic voice. Right. Ever. Mm-hmm. And once once we do that in pursuit of power, yeah. we have we have did a we have done a great disservice to the gospel. Yeah. yeah. I agree, man. Yeah. I don't really know how to land this plane. This has been a good conversation. Long, so very, yeah. We have to yeah. end it. We, end it. <laughs> we can. I think I'll end it this way by saying thank you. Um, thank you for the contribution that you guys have had on my life personally in this season. Um, kind of a privilege to be named among you guys. Um, thank you to the contribution that you guys have had on our body as well. Um, and hopefully that will continue that we would see this as an opportunity to continue to have great conversations around um, other folks. And so for those who participated, who watched, some of the questions I sent in, this conversation is an ongoing one. Um, I'm looking forward to the future together um, because I do think what you brought out was powerful. Like we are something and we've, by God's grace, been able to experience something um, and we are participating in something. Um, Seeing the gospel go forth, you get ready behind a church, man, and we're excited about that. and just to come alongside you and see all of how God is wiring you to be felt and seen at such a time as this is going to be amazing. And so I just want us to just really step back and say, man, God, you're, you're working. And we are recipients of that mm-hmm. and called to be participants in it. And so thank you so much um, for doing that, modeling that. Uh, love you guys. Grace and peace. <laughs>